Welcome to Our Opinions Are Correct, a podcast about the meaning of science fiction. I'm Annalee Newitz. I'm a science journalist who writes science fiction. I'm Charlie Jane Anders. I'm a science fiction writer who thinks a lot about science. And we have an amazing guest today. This is Katie Mack. Hello. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Um, she's an astrophysicist. You may have already heard her talking about her work on Twitter uh, and her many public appearances. She's a professor at North Carolina State, and she studies the universe from its beginnings to its endings. And endings is our theme today. This show is real talk about the apocalypse. So we're going to be talking a little bit about how the universe itself might end in reality. And then we're going to talk, and this is why Katie is here, to help us along. And then we're going to talk a little bit about the small amount of science fiction about how the universe ends. And why is it that we don't talk about that very much? And when we do, what do we say about it? this is our very first time ever doing a live podcast and so here we are on the Joko cruise the ship is literally rocking back and forth so if you guys could all make a really loud cheer that we can pick up on the recording do it now Oh my God, you guys That's are the fantastic. very, you very, are the best. very best. This oh my is, God, I'm excellent. This Yay. is like a science fiction convention on a boat with like awesome music, which is, I don't even, yeah, I can't they even probably, say. They probably think it's a music convention with science fiction, but. Yeah, I, I, I think it really depends. Or it's, yeah, it's like podcasts with like, you know, science fiction and music. I don't know. Anyway. So let's start with the reality of the end of the universe. Yes. So Katie, I know that you're working on a book about. The end of the universe? I am indeed. I wanted to ask you a little bit about, I mean, I kind of wanted you to start at the beginning, which is to say the beginning of our understanding of the end. Mm. So do you have a sense of what the first theory was about how the universe would end? Like in the modern era, I'm not talking about like sort of biblical, you know, theories. So I'm not sure what the first one was. So for many decades, there was a lot of controversy about whether or not the universe is changing with time at all. I mean, once we figured out that there was stuff beyond the solar system, that we lived in a galaxy and there are other stars and then there are other galaxies out there, the question was, how is this changing over time? Does it change over time? And so for a long time, people debated about the idea of the steady state universe, where there's just everything is kind of stable and maybe there's expansion, but there's more matter being created all the time and everything kind of stays in this stable configuration. And that was rejected pretty uh, soundly after a while and it became known that the universe was expanding. And then once you know the universe is expanding, the question is, does it keep going or does it turn around? So when did we, when did scientists kind of accept that the universe was expanding? It was during Einstein's time. So when he first wrote down his theories of relativity, 
he didn't know that the universe was expanding. And so he put in some terms to keep the universe stable, to keep it from <laughs> collapsing on itself, because the idea was, like, he knew that gravity happens and that galaxies pull toward each other. And so he figured out very quickly that if gravity happens and the universe is just sitting still, it should just collapse on itself, like, immediately. So he put in a, a term in his equations to kind of hold everything up, like some kind of scaffolding to keep everything from falling in. And then the universe's expansion was discovered, and then it was like, oh, okay, we don't need this extra stuff to hold everything together, the universe is expanding. And then for a long time, the question was, you know, is it gonna keep going and expanding, or is it gonna fall back? And there was a time when falling back was the, the likely scenario based on the data, so the big crunch was what people thought would happen. And so there are some amazing papers from, I think like the 60s, uh, talking about the big crunch, and, and you know, what's gonna happen when the expansion turns around and all the galaxies come rushing toward us and, you know, everything is on fire. Uh, so <laughs> that, that was really fun. So I've been reading about that stuff as background for my book and it's, it's really fun to think about, like, people just thought, oh yeah, the, you know, at some point in the future, you know, the whole universe is gonna collapse on us and we're, we just have to be cool with that. So basically what we're talking about is early 20th century, we realize everything is expanding and then mid-century, we start to fear everything will be crushed in fire. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And then it wasn't until like the 1990s that it was discovered that the expansion is not only going fast enough to keep us from collapsing again, it's actually accelerating and so now the most likely thing seems to be that the expansion will keep going and it'll go faster and faster and everything will be uh, sort of separated and cold and empty and lonely and everything will sort of decay and die out and that, that's called the heat death. It's a lot less dramatic than, you know, the everything is on fire scenario, but it's, it's also really sad. <laughs> so, and it makes for much less interesting science fiction, I think, uh, oh. for the most part. So there are lots of different possibilities. There's one I guess we'll talk about later called vacuum decay, which is oh really yeah, we're fun. getting to that. Yeah, yeah, that's my favorite. Yeah, but um, <laughs> the understanding of the end of the universe has been constantly kind of changing, and and at the moment there's a reasonably large consensus that the heat death is the most likely one, but there are still many other possibilities, which I will discuss in my book called The End of Everything. <laughs> when Good I plug. was a kid, I went to a planetarium show where it ended, like it had all the cool stars and galaxies and everything. It ended with the heat death of the universe, and I. Was was so traumatized. Yeah. Like seven-year-old yeah. Charlie J was like, no, there's no point in anything. I was like crying. There's no sad. point in going to school. It's all going to end. Yeah, no, it's super sad because <laughs> as the expansion goes faster and faster, like you stop being able to see other galaxies and oh, you start so to be just more and more alone in the universe. And then the stars oh, in our own galaxy die out. And then like <clears throat> everything just kind of fades and it gets really cold oh, and, and everything's That's, like decaying. Is, and I mean, yeah. That is really depressing. Yeah. So how do we know that the heat death of the universe isn't just the beginning of another universe that comes after. Yeah. Well, so we don't we don't really know. So there's there okay, so there's some really interesting possibilities for new beginnings in a lot of different end of universe scenarios. The one with the big crunch, a lot of times people talk about maybe there's a bounce and so you have a kind of crunch but then that that seeds another big bang in some new universe. With the heat death it's harder because 
you just have a big empty space, basically. There are some ideas where you can get like a quantum fluctuation of like a new universe just kind of popping out of the vacuum. And there's even one, and this is super freaky, <laughs> there's even one where you have these quantum fluctuations that happen. So you could have a quantum fluctuation where suddenly like a tree appears and it's just because quantum mechanics is weird and sometimes you know strange <laughs> things can happen, right? Because of the way these sort of probabilities work out, if you have a big enough universe persisting for long enough, you can have a quantum fluctuation of basically anything and so there's this one idea where you have this like recurrence of any configuration the universe ever has had or could have will happen again and again by random chance if you wait a long enough time. So not only do you have like a new Big Bang once in a while, but also you have like a quantum fluctuation to this moment right now that then sort of evolves forward into, you know, into a new heat death in some, you know, very long time. So you could have... Reruns again. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I was going to say, it's going to be like that Star Trek episode. Yeah, yeah, so... Yeah, so you, <laughs> That's happened again and again, actually, so yeah. Yeah, yeah, so you end, you end up having this, like, recurrence, and it's wild because this was, like, a nightmare thought experiment by Nietzsche uh, back <laughs> in the day where he was like, what if, like, you had to live every moment of your life over and over again for eternity? Wouldn't that be awful? And then now there's this theory that at the end of the heat death, that <laughs> happens, and... Anyway, it's wild. So we would have, but you're saying we'd have to wait to the end of the heat death to have that happen, or could the quantum yeah. fluctuation happen like any time? Like right no. now, we could just be reliving this again and again. No, well, so it would be in a in a heat death universe. Like it takes so long that right. the heat death universe kind of just persists forever, and then and then you you can get all these quantum fluctuations. But the time frames we're talking about are just unimaginable. And it's still, you know, people argue about whether or not this is actually possible, but I think it's a, a wild idea. I really but like But that's it. our one chance for the heat death to turn into something else. Or that's currently well, one of maybe. the best possibilities. Maybe. Yeah, there's another way. If you have two, like, parallel universes, like, they can each have their own heat death, and then they can collide and create a new Big Bang. That's romantic. Yeah. It's very romantic. It is romantic. <laughs> that's what I'm hoping for my own heat death. It's like, I reach, I reach my heat death and then I meet another heat death and yeah. we're like, oh, like, let's fall in love and have heat death sex. I don't know what you... Oh, God. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, what does that even look like? It sounds really kind of enticing. I don't know. Let's talk about something else. <laughs> vacuum death. We still vacuum have... so death. Oh, my God. About vacuum death. It vacuum sounds decay. terrifying and it could happen at any moment, right? Yeah, yeah. It could be happening right now. It could be right happening right now. now. We yeah. could be in the middle of vacuum death. So, okay. So, so bye. <laughs> To explain vacuum decay, I first have to say something about the Higgs field. So you might have heard of the Higgs boson. Anybody Yay! cheer for the Higgs boson? Woo! All right. Okay, so the Higgs boson was discovered at CERN. It's this particle that's associated with something called the Higgs field, which is this like energy field that sort of pervades all of space, and, and particles interacting with the Higgs field is how they have mass, and it's this, this whole thing, right? Anyway, so the Higgs field has sort of some value, just some number that's associated with it. It's possible that basically that value of the Higgs field is not sort of the lowest energy configuration, not the favored value of the Higgs field. There's some other value the Higgs field could have that would be better in some way for in terms of like the universe would be more settled at that other value, which means that our universe is like not the most stable sort of configuration for a universe. Nice it's, try. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of like there's a... So we live in a, in a universe that is not optimally stable right, right now. Right, right. It's called yeah. metastable. And, it and explains the, a lot, actually. <laughs> it really yeah. does. Yeah, so you can think of it kind of like, imagine you have this sort of ocean shore, 
And in the early universe, it's like the, the sea level is really high and there's water flowing all around. And then as the universe is cooling, the water level comes down and you get this little tide pool. And then you have like the, the you know, sea level way below that. And you can live in this little tide pool. And that's kind of like where our, we're living in this little tide pool where you know, the Higgs field is, is just this nice little gentle, you know, very calm state that we live in. And it's called our vacuum state. But that tide pool is not like the most stable thing because if you have a big wave come, it can wash you out into the ocean, then you just can't survive that. Or you know, maybe there's like a crack in the tide pool and everything sort of flows down. So the way it looks based on the data is that we're sort of in a sort of cosmic tide pool here. And there are a couple of ways we could end up in the open ocean and then not be able to survive. So you could have some super high energy event, much higher energy than anything that could actually happen. Or you could just have the fact that the universe is fundamentally quantum mechanical. And so it does this thing called quantum tunneling. And so what would happen there is, you know, the Higgs field pervades all of space. At one point in space, the Higgs field could have this quantum tunneling event and change value to this better value. And it would be like a little bit of water seeping through a crack in the tide pool. And then as soon as that happens, it's like the dam breaks. And so that little event would happen and it would create this bubble of what's called the true vacuum that would expand outward at the speed of light or thereabouts (laughs) and destroy everything in its path because the bubble wall is this super high energy stuff. And then inside the bubble is this new kind of space where our atoms won't hold together. Like it's that kind of space is unlivable. And so this bubble expands the speed of light, destroys everything. And then the interior of that bubble like collapses in a big crunch. So it's very final when that happens. And that's called vacuum decay. So basically, we're in a tide pool of water, and there's an ocean of acid next to the (laughs) tide pool of water. Uh, You can think of it that way. Or just like, we're this like delicate, like sea anemone, and then there's these crashing waves. And you know, (laughs) I mean, there's there's lots of ways to think about it. Yeah. I love the idea of true vacuum. Yeah. Like, you haven't seen vacuum yet. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, that is really terrifying. You were saying earlier that this quantum event could be like a tiny little black hole, just like the kind oh. that I want to build for my spaceship. Um, well, so if be you have if you have a tiny little black hole, you have to be very careful with it because if that tiny little black hole evaporates, which Hawking said it would, then that could seed vacuum decay, um, oh. and that could make vacuum decay happen there for sure, rather than just being this very unlikely event that could happen probabilistically at any moment, but probably won't happen for a really long time. So all of your science fiction where you have a spaceship powered by a tiny little black hole, which is not an insignificant number of science fiction stories, don't do it. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah they, it sounds cute, so. tiny little black hole. It I know, right? It'll, like, it'll provide you lots of energy, it's sustainable, except it <laughs> destroys the fabric of the universe. So you yeah, know. that's really bad pollution. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, don't do that. Let's talk a little bit about the little bit of stories about the end of the universe. Mm. We were trying to compile a short list with the help of Wikipedia. A li- and even, this is funny because Wikipedia normally when you go to search for like every science fiction story with a particular kind of trope, it'll be like, here is a list of 
you know, this huge long list. Um, sorry, the fart noise is just me kind of. <laughs> you can't see that on the podcast, but I'm kind of gesturing, like <laughs> big void space. And uh, there's not that many. There's maybe a couple dozen stories in this genre. And I think one of the most famous that probably a lot of people have read or heard of, I mean, first of all, there's Wrinkle in Time, where, you know, the darkness is destroying the universe. It's not just destroying us, which I had forgotten, but Mary Robinette reminded me. But then there's Isaac Asimov's short story, famous short story uh, from the mid-century called The Last Question, which is about a computer, kind of a super intelligent computer named Multivac. Multivac is, of course, asked, how do we stop entropy in the universe? Um, How can it be decreased? Because they're worried about the heat death. And so uh, Multivac is like, okay, let me think. I think for a long time, I'll have a bunch of babies because apparently Multivac has a bunch of babies. And eventually Multivac's baby is in the middle of the heat death and says, let there be light. And then there's like a new universe, which is a really cheesy ending that we can talk about in a minute. (laughs) But then, of course, there's also the restaurant at the end of the universe, obviously. And what what else is there, Charlie? Tell us. There's Tau Zero, a novel by Paul Anderson. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Mm. There's a Greg Egan novel that deals with vacuum decay, sort of. So so the problem with vacuum decay is it, it makes very bad drama because it happens at the speed of light so you, d- you don't you don't see it coming and you don't feel it and nothing happens afterward so you know <laughs> like it's just you don't even notice it so he he has a novel where he has a bubble of a new kind of vacuum that goes at half the speed of light oh. um, so you can actually see it coming and, and interesting things happen with Dramat- that like that's, that's how you add drama that's when how you're you doing drama. fiction and then yeah. a million Doctor Who episodes there's a million Doctor Who episodes featuring the end of the universe in one episode basically the universe universe is going to end unless the doctor gets married to River Song. And so he marries River Song or she marries River Song. And actually, I really want to see Jodie Whittaker's doctor just hanging around being married to River Song. <laughs> um, there's, there's a bunch of episodes where the universe is in danger for various reasons. There's an episode called Logopolis where actually entropy is going to swallow up the universe, but a bunch of like space mathematician wizards have created like tiny little holes that lead to other universes that create, that give more energy to our universe to prevent the heat death but then the master does something or other and then the doctor does something or other and then the universe is saved. Oh, that it's reminds really me confusing. The, the dying earth cycle of books may be about the end of the universe. It's, yeah, it's unclear. It's it's, it's, maybe a, it's the end of the earth, maybe it's the end of the universe. It doesn't make sense that we would still be on earth if the universe was ending because the earth would be like long gone, the sun would have eaten us and then died. Yeah, and I don't actually know. It would have know. happened in between, but that's oh, but okay. So, Finishing up on Doctor Who, yes, there's also course. a whole bunch of Doctor Who episodes where we visit the end of the universe, but we don't actually try to prevent it. It's just we're at the time when the universe is ending, like Utopia, one of the Peter Capaldi episodes where he hangs out with Arya Stark. Uh, I don't think that's a spoiler. <laughs> um, so it's Frontios. There's a bunch of Doctor Who episodes where it's just like the universe is ending and it's the natural end. It's like restaurant at the end of the universe, sort of, except less funny. What are some tropes that we see in this kind of story? The thing I just said about Doctor Who, about how there's basically there are stories where the Doctor is trying to prevent the end of the universe, and there are stories where the Doctor is just visiting the end of the universe, and it's just going to happen, and we can't stop it. Those are kind of the two basic approaches to the end of the universe. We can either, like in that novel you mentioned by Greg Egan, we can be trying to save the universe, which is the highest possible stakes you can have, I think. I guess you can save the multiverse, but... Yeah, um, yeah there's the always two, higher stakes. Remember the two universes having heat death sets? That's yeah. true. We could or, save both of them. I think on Legends of Tomorrow, they've saved the multiverse a few times. You can either be trying to save the universe 
or you can just be spectating the end of the universe because it's kind of an inevitable event. Yeah. And so I think that that's kind of like, as a broad thing, those are the two kinds of stories you can tell. And it's interesting because when you think about those stories, like uh, sort of laid out, there's sort of two things that happen in them in terms of tone, which is a lot of these, like a lot of the novels and, and also films that deal with the end of the universe kind of verge on metaphysics. Mm. That's one of the things that's interesting about Wrinkle in Time is that it is a science story and it has scientists in it, but it is this metaphysical, religious kind of story. And of course, the cheesy ending of Isaac Asimov's short story ends with this biblical moment of the computer kind of recreating the universe using this sort of Western religious phrase because, of course, the entire universe is (laughs) Judeo-Christian. And that's just how it works. The novels in this genre, I think, like, for example, like Tau Zero, are very literary and things like language breaks down, time is disrupted, you're kind of reading things out of order, and so it kind of gives you a sense of kind of cosmic weirdness. But then there's these Doctor Who stories, there's Restaurant at the End of the Universe, where you're spectating the end of the universe and it's like for fun and that's where comedy comes in and it's it's basically there's a really cynical view where it's like we can't save the universe there's no cosmic anything all we can do is just like sit back and eat popcorn and laugh and eat Peter Davison and eat Peter Davison (laughs) I mean okay that's what happens in the restaurant at the end of the universe yeah I get yes. They eat the dish of the day, which is he's, Peter Davis. He's a cow at the time. So. Yeah. yeah, but I mean that actually, like even that is kind of like this cynical it's, thing it's of like we very eat ourselves. Cynical. We were talking about this and about how a lot of these spectatorship stories come out in the '80s, like mm-hmm. late '70s and early '80s, during a time when politics were themselves very cynical, and so it was just kind of like, "Hey, man, let's just watch the world burn." You know, <laughs> it's funny, isn't it great? I mean, it's a, it's actually kind of. There's some of that happening now. So when I was shopping my book around, you know, proposing to write a book about the end of the universe, a significant selling point was the fact that this was shortly after the 2016 <laughs> election. You know, when, when the election was happening, there was this whole Twitter campaign for sweet meteor of death in 2016. Yes. Like people, people were really you know, feeling very apocalyptic, very, like, nihilistic, and there was this just total loss of hope. And so the idea of reading about the end of the universe is kind of, it can be kind of cathartic. It's like, you know, just burn it all down, you know. But the nice thing about the end of the universe is, like, okay, this is ultimate destruction. This is, like, nothing the nice survives thing. this. Yeah. Well, no, but the nice thing is that, like, this is the biggest destruction you can think of, but it's definitely not going to affect myself or anybody I care about. I mean, unless it's vacuum decay, but then yeah. you, don't, you, don't, you don't even yeah, notice. You that, so, like, but... whatever. You can be very detached from it, and yet it's extremely powerful destruction, and so you can also feel you know, very cathartic about, yeah, destroy everything. Um, <laughs> it's not going to bother me, but destroy everything. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's like the, the pure definition of apocalypse point. Yeah, it's yeah. the most apocalyptic scenario you can possibly imagine. And of course, yeah. when the Large Hadron Collider was turned on, some people thought that maybe it would be the end of the universe. And it is, it is the <laughs> highest stakes you can possibly have in a yeah. story. I think it's, to me, it's disturbing that that's something we want to laugh at a little bit. I mean, it, it's not disturbing, but I feel like it's a symptom of, of something political that's happening mm. where it's like, it's Instead of, instead of being like, wait, let's stop it. It's but like, just like hey, you, man, it's funny. But like, what else are you going to do? It's the universe. I mean, we can't, yeah. you know. I mean, <laughs> I we, know. it's, I don't know. I, I've been deep down this rabbit hole of ultimate destruction for a while working on this book. <laughs> and so, you know, this is very much on my mind. But it's just kind of a weird thing to think about. Like, 
there are these huge forces in the universe that we have absolutely no control over. Things will end, like things end, and you know, humanity will end, and the universe will end. There's basically no scenario where the universe doesn't end, at least the part of right. the universe we live in. You just kind of, like at some point you have to come to terms with that, and like the fact that, that there will be an ending, that we will have no legacy past a certain point, yeah. and figure out how you're gonna deal with that. And it's it's been really, I mean, this is getting you know a little bit like heavy, but but it's been interesting for me thinking about like what do you do with that knowledge? Like, and to me, it's like, well, you know, have have fun, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> like, do what you can, you know, be, you know, live a good life, and you know, enjoy the beauty of the universe while it's here. The fact that there will be an ending, you know, for some people that can be a very sort of freeing idea. For some people, it's an absolutely horrifying idea, because we're talking about something so far removed in time and so big a concept and so theoretical you can also just sort of play with these ideas and be like yeah the universe is destroyed and and <laughs> have and and feel very disconnected from it as well yeah it's hard to wrap your mind around but in a sense the idea that humans as a species would be there to witness the end of the universe is a kind of a weirdly optimistic concept it means that <laughs> we survived the death of the earth we survived the death of our sun uh-huh. we probably survived the death of our galaxy because our galaxy will probably go before the rest of the universe Well, it's going to smash well, into another galaxy. Yeah, We're, we're going to smash into Andromeda. That'll be really cool, actually. Yeah, yeah. Okay, if we so survive we'll that, witness, yeah. that is true. That is very optimistic. We survived the yeah. collision of the galaxy in Andromeda. There's a bunch of stuff that we have to survive before we get to witness the end of the universe. And so yeah. when you see a science fiction story where humans are still there and we're like, oh, yeah, yeah we can't. There's nothing we can do about this one. It is kind of weirdly optimistic. It is also... Yeah. But it also does remind us that for all of our efforts to, like, ensure that the human race goes on forever, that we have, like, you know, that we get out into the colonize other star systems, that we eventually spread out into the rest of the galaxy and beyond, that there is a hard limit that we face. I have actually, and I'm struggling to remember it, I know that there is a subgenre of story, and I think it's something that comes up in superhero comics or something occasionally, where there's one egomaniacal person who's like, I'm going to put on my special protection suit, and it's going to enable me to survive the end of the universe into the beginning of the next universe so that I can, I personally can go on forever, mm-hmm. you know, beyond the death of the universe. I think that there mm-hmm. is, that is a trope that I've seen before. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, that, and that comes up in, in more than one of these science fiction ideas of you have an end of the universe, but it's okay because you can go through it and right. start somewhere new. Yeah. I mean, and that's what start the Isaac Asimov story is, is mm-hmm. really that fantasy that we will ultimately build a supercomputer that can do that, that right. can like, right. pass through and create the next universe. Because we want to keep going. It's actually also tying back to the metaphysics stuff. When I was when I was researching non-scientific ideas about the end of the universe, uh, sort of eschatology is, is what you call it in philosophy and religion, there were a lot of ideas about the end of the universe or the end of the world if in, in traditions where the universe wasn't the whole thing. You know, the, the world was basically everything. But all, almost all of them were were somehow cyclical, or almost all of them like you start again and things are a little bit better, or there's an end, but then there's something after the end where you get your comeuppance or your reward or whatever. There weren't any that I could find where it was like that's it, you know. <laughs> yeah. It's just like you're done. Uh-huh. I mean, and game Neil, over. Yeah, and yeah. Neil Stevenson's novel Anathem is kind of about that. Like, mm. what happens when this is not a spoiler, but you know, ultimately, like there's a bunch of different universes that kind of meet at a at a certain right. point, and some are and, and they are getting better and better, which again is playing into this Western idea that, like, we always improve progress. Mm-hmm. It's not know. just Western, either. Like, yeah. there's a lot of traditions have, you know, cycles that get better or just different, you know, as, yeah. as you go. 
Moving on to the question of why are there so relatively few stories where the end of the universe is kind of the main point of the story? I mean, my off the top of my head idea is that it's just because it's the ultimate high stakes, and the higher the stakes, the harder it is to make it kind of human scale and comprehensible to the audience. But I'd love to hear your thoughts about that as well. I was thinking when I was working on this book, I was thinking maybe I could have like little fictionalized uh, stories at the beginning of each chapter to kind of set the tone. And, and almost all of them were just totally uninteresting because, <laughs> because like if it's a heat death, you just wait and then things end. If it's vacuum decay, you don't see it coming. Uh, so you don't even notice. The only sort of exciting ones would be the big crunch or the big rip, and both of those are like quite long time scales. If you want to do it with like the real, you know, science in terms of what we think is going to happen, it just doesn't. The time scales or or the actual drama of it aren't great for stories, and also you can't do anything about it. So that also puts a damper on on you know the heroism of, of your your characters because you're just kind of there. Yeah, I definitely think that part of it is that, yeah, it's so final that it's, how do you kind of have a denouement after yeah, that? Unless yeah. you're like <laughs> Thomas Pynchon and you're just like, I'm going to write something that's like totally literary. Um, and like, you're all just going to cope with it. Um, but I think that we do want a disaster that's human scale. Yeah. It's more fun to destroy humanity than it is to destroy the universe because, that, I mean, what, what is it? I mean, what is it that's causing all of our anxiety that's making us write things and making mm. us want to read things and watch things. It's its our anxiety about humans. It's not our mm. anxiety about, like, other galaxies, which are, let's face it, objectively awesome. There mm. is some of that, like, not wanting to destroy the pretty flower of the sky. But humans. But humans, like, you know, and I think it, people often say, like, it, when they're watching a horror movie, like, well, I don't mind watching the humans killed, but I don't want to see a dog killed. Like, that's just <laughs> no. Or a cat or something like that, which Sam Raimi did do in a movie, and I was quite shocked. Yeah, I think so as long as all the cats survive the end of the universe, just like I'm an good. entire I, new I feel universe like that with all is the cats in it. One scenario, exactly. <laughs> the cat apocalypse. Um, so it's it's partly that human scale, but I also think that thinking about the universe kind of ruins our it just ruins our apocalypse fantasies in some ways because part of the fun of the apocalypse really is the post-apocalypse. Yeah. And, I, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's really not, it, it's not any good unless you can kind of witness the wreckage. We can't witness that uh, yeah. if, we, if we don't. But the other thing I was going to point out, my final little thing I was going to point out, is that interestingly, in fantasy stories, the universe is often ending. Like, I feel like mm. that on Buffy the Vampire Slayer, like, that was the plot arc in, like, almost every season, was like, we have to save the universe. And so it's something that we think about in fantasy, but we can't kind of think about in science fiction. I, there's probably a lot of reasons for that. Partly because if we look at it scientifically, like Katie was saying, it's just like, okay, it's over. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. <laughs> been watching Katie's many presentations on this cruise, people have been asking her her favorite science fiction and she has refused to say. But we, I, we I told her she had to. Uh, <laughs> Alright. I was asked for two and I wrote down ten. Uh, <laughs> there's, I, I because just, she's nice. 
I love a lot of science fiction. Okay, so we already mentioned Greg Egan because he wrote this story about vacuum decay where he tweaked it so you can make an actual good story about it. So he writes some really interesting stuff that is just super, super, super hard sci-fi to the level where he'll talk about theoretical physics in this alternate universe that he's working in and I can't really tell where the actual theoretical physics ends and his you know extrapolations begin because he goes so deep into it and so accurately to such a degree that I'm, I get lost. So I really enjoy his stuff. Uh, in terms of other authors who do really cool stuff with good physics, uh, which is not always necessary, you know, but I, I enjoy it. Uh, Alistair Reynolds has some really good books that make use of relativity and the light travels limit, you know, so you, nobody goes faster than light, and so all sorts of interesting things happen there. The Expanse, which... <laughs> is a great series of books and a fantastic television series. They have some really cool physics in there. And, you know, they have, there's an alien element that breaks some of that stuff, but they also do, you know, no faster than light, no artificial gravity, and that's a lot of fun. You've got to have a, a glowing naked girl alien. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of a law. Gotta. And then other books I've really enjoyed recently... If you haven't read it yet, you have to go out and read Kim Stanley Robinson's Aurora and then come and talk to me about it because it's awesome and I'm not going to tell you anything else because basically anything I could say about that book would be a spoiler, but it's really, really cool. Um, then I've been reading a lot of Becky Chambers. Woo! Wonderful stories, amazing characters, a really cool idea about how to get from point A to point B without technically going faster than light, but going through some kind of other sort of space, which is very cool. And Lecky, the ancillary justice and all that. Fantastic. Um, N.K. Jemison's Broken Earth trilogy is incredible. And that has really amazing geophysics in it and some gravity and stuff like that. And there's stuff in the center of the earth. It's very cool. And then there were a couple of, there was a book that deals not with the end of the universe, but with the end of the earth called The Last Policeman. So there's a series of books that's by Ben H. Winters. And, and that's about, there's a meteor coming and it's basically going to destroy life on earth. And it's about like, how do you go about your life when you know that's going to happen? And it's about this guy who's a police officer and he wants to just keep solving crimes. And meanwhile, society is collapsing around him, but he's like, no, we have to, we have to do our job. And so there's some fun stuff there and how people would deal with you know, knowing the apocalypse is coming and just what do you do with that information, which I thought was interesting from the perspective of, you know, an ending that you know is going to happen and, and how do you come to terms with that. All right, I'm going to stop with those. That was great. <laughs> that Thank was you wonderful. For, yeah, Thank you. That was awesome. Thanks for coming. You have been listening to Our Opinions Are Correct. We have a Patreon and we just met our first goal. Woo! So thank you. Um, and you can find it on Patreon slash Our Opinions Are Correct. You can follow us on Twitter at OOACpod. And you can find us on all of the usual podcast places. Please and leave a review if you like us on Apple Podcasts or anywhere else. And we've been recording this on the Joko Cruise. Yeah. So Woo! thanks for being here. And thanks a billion to Chris, the sound guy, for making this happen. Chris is like a god among mortals. He is a <laughs> god among mortals. And Katie, where can people find you on the internet? Um, usually on Twitter. I'm at AstroKatie on Twitter. You can find me on Instagram at, at AcademicNomad because AstroKatie was taken on Instagram. <laughs> and my website is AstroKatie.com. And you can go there and sign up for a mailing list where uh, the only mail you'll ever get is here's a link to buy my book when it comes out in 2020. All right. So look for her book in 2020. Thanks again. Thank you. Thank you. You're wonderful. 